0: Good morning. morning. It's good to see uh, so many beautiful faces out there. Um,
1: uh, It is a joy
0: and a privilege to stand before you uh, once again. Uh, This, unless something changes, uh, this will be my last time preaching on staff here at the Village Church. Uh, I do have other slots to preach in the near future, uh, but it's coming very close to the end of me. Uh, uh, being on staff here at the Village Church. Uh, Dolores and I are looking forward, though, to um, staying members and being very involved in this church. I mean, I have a house right across the street, so uh, (laughs) uh, you guys can easily find me, so no need for me to try to hide. Um, I want to thank God for this opportunity, though. It's been uh, such a joyous um, uh, four and a half, five years here so far, and um, serving you guys and serving with you all uh, it's just been so awesome uh, to Alex giving me the chance uh, to come here um, it's, it's, it was, it's just again it's been a long journey uh, very hard work um, especially uh, when it comes to the school um, and I'm just so grateful to the elders and deacons that um, took up for me and kept uh, encouraging me and was uh, constantly Uh, helping me out. Thank you all, and um, uh, most importantly, my wife uh, now. uh, I I didn't start this journey with her, but uh, I do look forward to finishing it with her. Um, So with that all being said, let us pray and go into God's word. Father, be with us now. Amen. Um, and patience was keeping it real uh, several times uh, as she was singing. I, I feel like she, she did an excellent job picking the songs out for this sermon, uh, even though she was a little upset with me. Uh, I'm keeping it real. Uh, <laughs> she's upset with me earlier uh, this week, and not really upset as in, oh my gosh, you know, whose side are we going to take here? It's not, not that kind of upset. But uh, I was originally going to preach uh, Psalm 37 which uh, if many of you know is one of the wisdom literature in the Bible. Uh, it's several wisdom psalms. Uh, you have also wisdom literature such as Job, uh, Song of Solomon, Proverbs, uh, Lamentations. And you have a lot of, of, course, the Bible itself is wisdom, but there are things uh, inside of that wisdom that is specifically saying this is wisdom. And I wanted to preach uh, wisdom literature this Sunday Um Wisdom literature is exactly the themes and the messages of every song you song here today. Uh, that God will protect you even even when you're in trouble, even when you have pain, even if you die, God's protection is still on you uh, because it gives you the an eternal mindset uh, uh, if, if, you, if you don't know what I mean. So, so when God says that he protects his children, it doesn't mean you won't face harm or death here, but he, he wants you to have your mind focused on eternity, all right. So when he says that he has promises and blessings and and, and riches for his children, that doesn't mean that children here, his children here, won't be face poverty or won't uh, struggle financially. It means that eternally, eternally, uh, that is the case. Uh, so wisdom literature man, is is awesome. Wisdom literature, um, it ultimately it tells the believers the promises of God. And it tells us to trust in God and to have contentment in him regardless of your situation. So that's something that, uh, again, to uh, use patient example, she was saying, I don't feel like singing a song, right? But see, uh, a lot of us know that, that, that God's truth, his character, does not depend on our feeling or our situation or our opinions. So when I tell you the absolute truth that God is all-powerful, even when you don't feel like he's all powerful, guess what? He still is all powerful. And so that's what wisdom literature teaches. And I, I feel like many churches, many uh, churches have uh, not done justice in teaching its people and, and we ourselves, our children and students, the wisdom literature of the Bible. When it tells us not to go after the, the whoremongers or when it tells us to drink water from our own cistern or when it tells us even how to manage our money, these are things that we need to learn. You know, the wisdom literature teaches you themes uh, and it gives you verses such as what we read today where in just a little while the wicked will be no more, but the meek shall inherit the land. Things like that. Uh, and it ultimately teaches the believers that if you believe in God, then you have security. And if you don't believe in God, then there is a lot of insecurities. Uh, it tells you to delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It tells you uh, better is the little that the righteous has than the uh, abundance or of uh, many wicked people. It teaches you things like this. It gives you the mindset of Job that even though he slay me, I would still trust him. It teaches a life of commitment and trust in the Lord. It does something else though. This is something else that the wisdom literature does. Uh, and I don't know if I would necessarily uh, do this type of sermon at Beeson to try to graduate, but I'm already graduating. Everything is final. I have no more tests or papers to do, so that's already taken care of. But I, I wanted to really, I guess, get creative or, or, or really work on this to see wisdom literature but say here's a picture of, of what wisdom literature is trying to tell us. So the another thing that wisdom literature does is it basically tells you, what the end will be for the godly and the ungodly. That's what it does. Uh, biblical wisdom literature summarizes the Bible and tells the readers what the end result was going to be. And so the passage for today, and it should be uh, 31, I, I, I believe there's one more verse in there, uh, Luke 16:19 9, uh, 19 through 31. But the passage today, I feel like, is uh, a good image of what wisdom literature teaches us. And uh, this message will tell us what the end will look like for the believer and the non-believer. So before I get started, I got to just because I'm very polite. I hate rudeness. I got to say spoiler alert. All right, because this right here passage is going to tell you what the end of this is going to be. Uh, you all heard that phrase before, right? Spoiler alert. I'm not. I'm not just coming out here just trying to be creative and nobody knows where I'm going with this, right? Spoiler alert. Um, it is, uh, right, it's something you supposed to say before you tell somebody, I guess, like the end of a movie or a book or a, a, a game or something like that. Uh, I recently, oh man, I'm already hurt before I even tell the stories. I recently had two experiences where people spoiled the ending or something for me before I got a chance to watch it. Uh, the first situation occurred, uh, I was telling someone about this fight movie, I was really excited to see and I hadn't got a chance to see it yet, but I'm going to watch it the next day. I said, You know, I'm going to watch it tomorrow. That's why I told him. And the very next phrase that came out of her mouth was, Oh, you're going to love that movie. I just hate that he lost that last fight. <laughs> and, and I'm crushed, right? I'm like, and so I'm, I'm like, is she, are they playing games with me right now? Is this, is this, and so it's for the movie for me. So the whole movie I'm watching, I'm like, it really doesn't matter what he does because he's going to lose anyway, right? Uh, but I, I watched it, and I really did enjoy the movie. Uh, another another time that happened was, uh, if any of you know, uh, or following any kind of basketball right now, the Golden State Warriors uh, have just been breaking all kind of records this year. Just ridiculous. It's never unheard of, so many things. And one of the things that they were trying to break was they wanted to go undefeated at home an entire season. So they broke the streak of the most wins at home consecutively, but they haven't won a whole season without losing at home. And so I had recorded the game with the Golden State Warriors at home against the Boston Celtics because I knew it was going to be a good game because they went like double, triple overtime earlier that season. Uh, so uh, before I, I got it, like I literally, I have the game on my TV and I pushed pause because I wanted to talk to my mom real quick Uh I knew that once, I get, once the game got started, yeah, you see where this is going. I, I, uh, uh, but I, I wanted to talk to my mom real quick just because there was some things I needed to check up on, and I knew that once the game got started, I'll be in the zone. i would probably end up calling her tomorrow. And so I, the game is on, like it's first quarter, 12 minutes, like no, the tip-off is about to happen, and it's paused. And I call my mom, and I said, hey, and we do all the talking. And I said, yeah, I'm about to, uh, I, I recorded the game last night because she watches basketball. She's a big basketball fan. I recorded the Golden State game last night uh, from last night. I'm about to watch it because I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. And uh, y'all, this is ridiculous. She, she said, Oh, okay, okay. Well, I so hate they lost that game. I, I, I so I hate they lost that game. And I'm over here. I so hate I caught you right now. Oh, oh you ruined it. You ruined it. And, and, and she, I thought she was playing again, but no, Golden State Warriors lost. And, and it kind of took away. I guess the excitement that I wanted to have with the game. So usually, man, I'm hurt right now. Let me recuperate. These are bad moments in my life. But I'm I'm sharing these with you guys. I'm an open book right now. Uh, When someone gives you a spoiler, uh, it sometimes upsets you, frustrates you, or causes you to no longer be interested, right, with the beginning or the middle process uh, because you just wanted to know the ending in the first place, right? Right? Uh, the end, and for the most part, is all we really want to see. That's, that's the most important part. Uh, Vanit Mahesh, if you don't know him, Google him. Uh, he, likes to, he likes to say a lot that everyone wants to see the baby, but no one wants to see the delivery. Right? You, you, get, you get that? That's, that's, what it, that's what it's like. It's true that, that when you count the, your favorite sporting team, when you, when you count your favorite sporting team, you, you, look, you watch the games. You, you watch way more games than you watch their practices. Because you don't really care about the process, you just want to see the end result. You watch highlight films of players. You don't watch hours of them working out because th- that doesn't really matter to you. You want to see what is the end result. And so when you come to somebody like me, you say, well, how did you do on your test? You don't ask me, hey, how did you like studying for the test? What was your favorite portion? To you don't care about that part. You just want to know what grade did you make. And, uh, and so that's, what the, that's how it is for most of us. But the Bible is, is concerned with all of it. Like, it's not just concerned with the ending. It don't, it don't say, hey, just give you a heads up. You can just skip the Revelation if you want to know the end. It's not what the Bible does. The, the Bible starts off, Genesis 1-1, what? In the beginning. That's what God is concerned with in his word, is the beginning and the process, the journey, and the ending. And so uh, when you look at Luke 16 today, our passage today is the parable of, of the rich man and Lazarus, all right, and, and just remember that the ending, the ending is is based off of the beginning and the journey. Like they don't end up in heaven or hell just because that's the ending of the book. Something happened in between these things, and uh, that's what wisdom literature. I really, I really want to push that. Like if you guys decide to ignore me the rest of the sermon, please stay home. I need to start finding out what is wisdom literature in the Bible. And read it and read it to my children. So the parable, uh, like most of them, is an earthly uh, story with heavenly insight. And, for the most part, vice versa, heavenly story, because Jesus is telling it, with earthly insight. Uh, the parable, this parable right here is uh, oftentimes used, if you're, if you're reading it, uh, it's used a lot of times for people to talk about what hell would be like and things like that. Uh, but that's not that's not what we're going to touch on here today. Uh, depending on what tradition background you come from, you've probably heard enough hell sermons already. Uh, and if you're a uh, warm nature, or, I mean cold nature, or from Alaska, you'll probably really like a hell sermon. So uh, I'm not going to do that. Uh, the story, most importantly to me, tells of the great contrast, just like all the wisdom literature, between an ungodly rich man and a religious or godly faithful believer who just so happened in this story, to be a poor man. All right? So join me in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. I like the way uh, Mark's uh, translation does it because at the end here, you see this sumptuously every day. They tie it on with this is how often and how much he eat. But the, a good translation would be, no, this is the way he dressed and eats. So every day he dressed the very most expensive way possible, and he eats the very most expensive way possible. Uh, when you look at the clothes he has on, right? Uh, a lot of us understand that purple back in that day means royalty. So this isn't just your average r- rich guy. This is someone that is very, 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 very we- wealthy. Uh, and so he, he, he. Remember Jesus when he was getting crucified? They, they tore his garment and put on a purple robe on him to to display royalty. Um, but it was also to mock him, uh, which is a very expensive joke or mock, I guess. But but it's very expensive, very expensive. Purple is very expensive. In fact, uh, if you do research and stuff, you'll find out that they even had, like, wealthy laws back then. Like, you had to have a certain amount of money to wear purple. And if you wore purple and didn't have a certain amount of money, you could be punished. So, again, this guy is very wealthy, very wealthy. And even the phrase fine linen, like this this usually is that the, what they used back in that day was Egyptian cotton. Have y'all ever tried to buy that in today's time? It's, it's still pretty expensive. still like some of the best possible. This fine linen, his undergarment. So his outer garment is purple. And this is what everybody gets to see. But that's not it. He has on the very best undergarment because he likes comfort. He likes the idea that I get to wear this very, very, very expensive thing. So this guy here is very very wealthy um, and he eats a lot very expensively every day. Um, The best example I can think of for that part, man, I I went to P.F. Chain one time, well a few times but you know I I, I wish I could try more than just how much I have the money to buy when I go Uh, you know like the the lunch portion and I wish I I can try the different I want to try this too and I told the lady that one time and this is what she told me she said, there's a guy that comes there once or twice a week. And she said, what he come, does is he comes in and he orders everything on the menu and tell him to put it in this one really huge bowl and just mix it all up because he likes that. And, and it's, now that's a, now, now imagine, like, no, that's a very, and this guy's very wealthy. He's, he apparently, like, came up with some internet coding or something like that. I don't know. He's a very wealthy guy in Huntsville. But that's, that's, that's crazy when she told me that. I said, how often? You know, once or twice a week. And she said he just throws back the, the alcohol. That's a, that's a very expensive meal. This guy here does that. I saw some of your faces. This guy here does this every day. Every day. Every day. And so uh, that, so now we know we're working. We're, we're looking at a very, very, very rich guy. Verse 20. And his gait, which again kind of shows that he's wealthy, right? Like don't, not just anyone has a gate. And when I say gait, I'm not talking about the fence. Like I got a fence, right, that... That you're opening. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about a gate, gate, like something that that you know, three or four people may need to, to help open. Uh, remember in Acts three, where uh, the the poor man was laid at the temple's gate, the gate that that was called the beautiful gate. Um, this is a really huge gate, and it's for really large estates and property. Uh, this is what's happening here. You get poor people that's laid at these very wealthy uh, places or places where they should be able to get help. And they stay there all day begging, and hopefully the person will have mercy on them. So at this gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores. Now, first semester Greek, um, one of the first words that I learned was balos. And that's the same word that you see with laid. I don't really like the translation there, because anybody balos, balos, uh, Greek word balos. Anybody know what you do with a ball? Balos? What do you do with a ball? Huh, do we not have any athletes out here? You throw it right so so the the better translation really is that this this poor guy who probably can't walk it itself, he wasn't just like laid gently. don't get that image in your head. This is ballos. He was thrown at the gate, and like I'll come back and get you later all right so So you have this poor man named Lazarus. we don 't have the name of the rich guy, and he's covered with sores um. Again, I've been on this really wisdom literature trip, so I'm like so excited about it. So I've been using this to teach some of the eighth graders at Lincoln Academy um, because we're trying to emphasize learning how to read and comprehend better. And we're trying to understand. We're trying to get them to grow spiritually. And we're trying to teach them uh, great values of living and wisdom. literature just so happened to be able to do all three of those at once. You see what I'm saying? So when we was reading this, I was asking them, let's contrast real quick. Verse 20 and verse 19 between the rich man, and the poor man. I said, what is the rich man covered in? Well, the rich man is covered in purple, fine linen, right? What is the poor man covered in? Sores. And so we're going to have this contrast going on throughout this whole uh, passage, this whole sermon here. So all he has really is his name. That's all Lazarus has. You have this wealthy guy that has everything, and you have a guy that, according to this story, all we really see is all he has is his name. Uh, the way that the, 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 if you was to read it, the way that it's really set up is that it really gives you the image that this guy is very, very, very rich and that this guy, Lazarus, is very, very, very poor. All right. Now, as Jesus is teaching to the Pharisees, because he is talking to the Pharisees if you look at verse 14, uh, which we'll go back in a few seconds, uh, they're all looking at this story and they don't have a problem so far. So far, the rich man, to them, they, they hear wealth they hear purple linen. They hear fine linen. Right? And, and, and they hear how much he eats each day. And what they're thinking is blessed. 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 That's all they're hearing. And then Jesus begins to describe the poor man. And you know what they're hearing? Cursed. Punished by God. Getting what he deserved. This is what they're getting. So they have no problem so far with this story. They're enjoying the story so far because they are the rich man. And they are tired of all these poor beggars coming up to them. Verse twenty one: All he desired was to be fed. With what? With what fell from the rich man's table. However, or moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. This is this is a really sad description. So. Uh, this, is, this is a scholar that, 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 that does very great research. And basically, what this image is, it's not crumbs. Notice, I don't know, it, I, I doubt any of your translations say he desired the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. He desired what fell from the rich man's table. This is probably like whole slices or loaves of bread. Because back then, before they had napkins and all that, what the wealthy people did was as they ate, they got bread to wipe their hands off, and they just threw it down. And the dogs would come and eat it up from the table. And this 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 rich man or poor man is looking and if I can just get that. Now he remember, he's eating sumptuously. He has a full table of food. He's there's no way he's gonna finish all of it. But but if I if I can just get the, the wasteful part that you just throwing on the table, I'll I'll be satisfied with that. And the rich man doesn't he doesn't help him. He doesn't do anything about that. He 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 does nothing. Moreover the dogs. Now, these dogs aren't the man best friend kind of dogs. These are street dogs, all right. Like, like when when it says they're licking at them, they're probably even biting at them. Because, you know, so so these are vicious dogs, and so this poor man has his bad. Now, if you was to read wisdom literature, and, and let me say this about wisdom: wisdom literature isn't a universal principle type of thing. It's not. So when when it tells you uh, things like God will protect you, it's not saying. At all times, everywhere, you don't have to worry about harm. That's not what wisdom literature does. What wisdom, remember, ultimately what wisdom literature teaches you is contentment and trust in God. Okay? So it gives you, uh, I guess the three Hebrew boys mindset that I know God is able to protect me. I know he's able to provide. And guess what? Even if he doesn't, I still think he's worthy. I still think that he's gracious and loving. So, So that's what you need to understand. So this poor man here he is having it really rough. All right, he has nothing. He has no food. It appears that he cannot walk. He has ulcers all over his body, and 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 a lot of us would look at him and say, he, you know, this is this is a bad situation, and, and God must be punishing him, like Job for instance thought, and like the Pharisees thought right there. All right, so now we're going to get to I guess like the climax of this story here. This is going to be the thing that really really start shocking and frustrating the Pharisees. The poor man died and they're thinking good and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. What? The rich man also died and was buried. For me, this sentence, not only is the shocking part of this whole story, but it's the equalizer. Right? That's what death is. Death is the equalizer. It ends up Putting us all on the same level, right? This this poor man died and was carried to Abraham's uh bosom, chest, to his side. Uh when he died, the Pharisees would have first thought, Well, God's punishment is complete. It's been carried out. But they get shocked because they find out that the angels carry him to Abraham's side. See, Jesus does this a lot in his parables. If you remember, uh the, the Good Samaritan story, uh, they're, they're reading the story, and they're listening, and Jesus is talking to them. And all of a sudden, the priest passed by, and they're like, wait a minute. Well, I can't understand that. The priest should pass by. He has things to do. He doesn't need it. The Levite passed by. Okay. But, well, you know, Levite can't get his hand uh, dirty before service. so I, I can understand that. Wait a minute, Jesus. You said the Samaritan did. What? Those nasty, hateful people? Show mercy to one of us. He does things like that. Uh, the the prodigal son, where the, the, they're listening to the story, and the prodigal son comes to his father and says, uh, "Give me what is owed to me." Basically telling him, "I wish you was dead. Just go ahead, and give me what, what you're gonna give me when you die." That shocks them that someone would say that to their father. And then later on, that he he was in the pig, he was about to go in there with the pigs. Like those are things. So Jesus says shocking things in his parable. This right here. Is again, we can see the comparison between the rich man and the poor man. Because the poor man died, and what happened? He doesn't have a funeral. There's no one that cares that he's dead. And he's probably just thrown outside the city in the fire where that's always burning where they keep the trash and dead bodies, right? But guess what? The angels themselves carry him. Now, what happens to the, the rich man? What happens to the rich man? He, the angels don't carry him. He's carried by his friends and his colleagues, probably his siblings, and he's laid in the ground. So the, the poor man is going up to, to Abraham's side. Now, we don't really know. Like There's speculation on what does Abraham's side or bosom mean. And this, this really is the only time it's used. Uh, some people speculate that the Jews believe before you were to heaven, uh, you was in this safe place next to Abraham where where no harm could happen to you until you got to... We just really don't know, though. Uh, for the most part, we do know this, though. We do know Unless something weird, very weird, happen. Abraham's not in hell. We do know that, right? So when he's beside Abraham, or he's laying on Abraham's chest, we know that he's in a very good place now. While the rich man is not. See, death, like I said, is the equalizer. All right. It doesn't matter how big our houses is, the coffin's going to be the same size, right? And so, you know, if you, if uh, it reminds me of. Uh, uh, you know, people they they, they 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 work hard to get all the property, and, and it reminds me of the poem uh, "How much land does a man need?" And then you get to the end of the poem, you find out just enough to be buried in. Oh, uh, spoiler alert, by the way, if you haven't read that poem. Uh, <laughs> but I want, I want I do want to say this: this story, this passage isn't against isn't against wealth. Like, don't don't think that, oh, Lao, he's up here complaining about money yeah That's not what it is. It, it's not against wealth. If you was to go back to me uh, with verse 14, I think I told you earlier. Verse 14 tells us who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to the Pharisees who were lovers of money. See, that's where this story is coming out of. See, so, so now you all make an understanding. If you're reading this, this passage of scripture and you know that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees who are lovers of money, then you must understand that when you get to this parable, then you understand that this rich man must be a lover of money. He must have got his wealth the wrong way. Okay? Uh, These are the type of people that do not simply make money, but they let money make them. Okay? God isn't really interested in what kind of car you drive. He's more concerned about the road you took to get it. Okay? So, how much land does a man need just not to be buried in? The poor man is carried uh, by the angels to heaven. All right? And then the rich man is laid in the ground. Verse 23. And in Hades... Being, torment, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at Abraham's side. Hades, uh, a lot of people translate it as hell, Gehenna, hell. Is the same word in the Old Testament for Sheol. Uh, hell or place. Basically, this is a place outside of the presence of God or his people or his protection. Okay? So that's what when you see these words, that's what it, it really means. Hell is basically getting what you want right? You spend your whole time telling God no, and so he finally lets you have it. He lets you have what you want. So again, in the end, there's two types of people, C.S. Lewis says. Those that say to God, thy will be done, and those who God says to them, thy will be done. That's what hell is. God giving you what you wanted. So Lazarus at his side on his chest, it kind of gives you the image of uh, John at the Last Supper laying on Jesus' chest, He's, he's comfortable. He's safe. Alright? But, but the rich man looks up, alright, and he sees this is the parable. I'm not, we don't know what heaven and hell really is like. I don't know if you can look down at people in hell. We don't know these things. But he, in this parable, he looks at them and he says, Father Abraham. Alright? Remember, this is their mindset. Abraham is my father. He's my father. I'm, I'm, I'm from his line. I'm from, I'm from his lineage. I'm from his descent. Have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm in anguish. All right? You see that send Lazarus? Again, I told you all we was doing this with the eighth graders at Lincoln. And we was reading this, and one of the girls said, <laughs> uh, he still thinks he's Lazarus' boss. Amen. Send Lazarus. Send Lazarus. See, do you see this kind of torment here, though? This torment, he's not asking for a fire truck to come or a big bucket of water. This torment, he feels like if I can just get one, one, one moment of relief, that's, that's a bad, that's a really bad, bad type of torment here. And this is what he's in. If Abraham says, child, this is, this is Jesus, man. This is Jesus. It, this could be two ways. Abraham may say, yeah, you are my child. You are my child. But remember, you see, Jesus, Jesus, to, to these, the Pharisees that he's talking to, they still are his child. They're still his children. And he still is showing mercy to them by even telling them this story, by even warning them of this. Child, remember that in your lifetime, you receive your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Job twenty one thirteen wisdom, it says this: they spend their days in prosperity. And in peace they go down to Sheol. They're confident, and this is in Psalm seventy three thirty seven and throughout the wisdom literature. They are comfortable all the way up until death. And see, so so what I want you to really get your uh, get your mind around is that this life here, it's not worth doing things the wrong way to get. Uh, uh, comfort, temporary comfort here. Temporary pleasures here. It's not worth it. If you if you can imagine an imaginary uh, a line that goes infinity this way and that way, your life is but a dot on it. You're just a few years on all of eternity. And it, it would be a terrible position to spend well, I, there's no way I'll give you the numbers, the percentage, but 70 years out of all of eternity comfortable and you had to spend the rest of that time in anguish. Jesus said, many who are first will be last and the last first. And besides all this, so Abraham still talking to him, talk between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who will pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. So the rich man had his chance to help Lazarus and didn't. And now Lazarus couldn't help him even if he wanted to. All right. Verse 27. And he said, Then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house. And the girl went, Mm-mm-mm, still trying to boss him around. See, hell hell doesn't correct hell doesn't correct your mindset. When you go to hell, you don't get your, your sin fixed, right? Like you still you're the same person for the rest of your life. And, and and to be honest, that may be uh that may be the tormented part that you having to put up with yourself for all of eternity. Verse twenty-eight. For I have five brothers, so that they may so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place to torment. This is probably the only positive thing. I mean, I'm I'm trying to this I'm preaching it this way. You might find more positive things. This is the only positive thing I saw in the in the rich man the whole uh the whole uh story, the whole parable here. Right, and he knows that his brothers are just like him. He knows it. And he's 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 warning them to to hey Abraham, can you at least warn them? I don't feel like I got a fair chance, but since I'm here, okay, fine. Can you at least warn them? And what does Abraham say? They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. What is this Moses? This is God's word, the Old Testament. All right? They they, they have the Old Testament that moment. And the Old Testament proclaims who God is and the life that he expects and requires of his people. All right? Michael 6a, he's already told you what is good. All right? verse 30 31 we're almost finished and he said no father abraham they're not going to read the bible they that's not going to get it but if they saw somebody from the dead ah they they would surely believe and repent he said to him this is abraham talking back to him now if they do not hear moses and the prophets neither would they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead see Ultimately, this is what he's looking for. He's saying, I didn't see enough works. I didn't see enough of these big miracles. I didn't, I didn't see all this spectacular thing. The word was cool. I even memorized it by the age of six. But it just didn't do enough. I need some more firework. Can you do that for my brothers? Can you show them somebody raised from the dead? He'll believe if somebody came from the dead and told them what he experienced. He said, if they do not believe the word, they won't even believe that. Remember 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, Peter talks about uh, we was on the mountain with Jesus, right? And we heard God's voice at the baptism and, I mean, uh, on the mountain when he said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He said, we saw this. Peter said, we saw the miracles. And then he says this, but we have something that's even more present, more proving, more powerful, And that's God's word. That's what Peter said. Peter said, I saw the miracles. I heard God's voice. I was with his son. And the thing that we have that's even more sure is his word. So if they do not listen to the word, if you do not listen to the word, what more can God? Fire can come from the sky. All right? He can flood the earth again. He can, he can cause places to have earthquakes that never had earthquakes before. He can cause all these great miracles where people are being raised from the dead and being healed of incurable diseases. And he says, but if you won't believe my word, if my word can't do it, none of these things will either. So, so ultimately, I want us to have this mindset, the mindset that the wisdom literature and the Bible wants us to have. And that is we must have eternity on our minds, okay? We must have eternity on our minds. Uh, I, and, and, and the question came about in one of my classes, like, a lot of people, they, they don't have persecution going on, right? They're, they don't, they're not, a lot of people aren't feeling like they have to learn how to be content and persevere right now. The, our job here is to prepare ourselves for when those times come. And they will come, like, this life isn't promised to be tragedy-free. And even though we don't experience the same things that our brothers and sisters in other countries experience, even though we don't see a lot of those things, we still must be prepared so that when persecution comes, when we do face hard times, we already know how to respond. We already know the hope that we have, and we we are already holding on to it. This life is not guaranteed to be anxiety-free, to be pain-free, stress-free, death-free, or poverty-free. If you are a believer, you must hold on to the promises that God has placed and prepared for you. And that he has a place where there will be no more crying, no more hunger, no more anxieties. You cannot live your best life here and expect to experience heaven. I know there's people that are way more popular than me, that sold way more books than me they say the opposite. But that's not true. If you live your best life here, you will spend the rest of eternity with, the, with your worst life. This life is one of sacrifice. It is supposed to be uncomfortable. You will not be the most popular. A lot of people won't love you all the time. So ask yourself these words from the hip-hop artist KB. It's really good, though. Are you the safest when the world is loving you or have had enough of you? Who's in more danger, the persecuted or the comfortable? We know how the story is going to end. You just got to make it to the end. This race is not given to the swift nor to the strong. but just to the one that makes it to the end. Amen? And won't you stand with us? Stand and as we sing our close.